Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Friday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. Now, you'll recall on Wednesday, we traced the decline and fall of King Solomon. You may recall back when Solomon became king, Solomon will reign for 40 years, from 970 to 930 B.C. And when Solomon became king as a young man, God said, ask me for whatever you want to help you do your job. And Solomon asked for wisdom to administer his kingdom. And that pleased God. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So we read in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 11, God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be again. And then God adds, Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands as David your father did, I will give you long life. So God gave Solomon a double-edged sword. One edge was wisdom to administer. A wisdom that would enable Solomon to create one of the greatest kingdoms on the face of the earth. The other edge, the other edge was riches and honor. So there'll be no other king like you. And in the end, it was the riches and honor that destroyed Solomon. Be careful what you ask for. When you pray and you ask God for something, be careful what you ask for. So Solomon, in his latter days, we read in 1 Kings 11, beginning at verse 14, the Lord raised up against Solomon an adversary, Hadad the Edomite from the royal line of Edom. Now earlier, when David was fighting with Edom, Joab, the commander of the army, who had gone up to bury the dead, had struck down all the men in Edom. Joab and all the Israelites stayed there for six months until they destroyed all the men of Edom. But Hadad was still only a boy. He fled to Egypt with some Edomite officials who had served his father. They set out from Midian and went to Paran. Then, taking men from Paran with them, they went to Egypt, to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who will become Solomon's father-in-law when the first thing Solomon does upon becoming king is make an alliance with Pharaoh and marry his daughter. Now these enemies have also gone to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who gave Hadad a house and land and provided him with food. Pharaoh was so pleased with Hadad that he gave him a sister of his own wife, Queen Taphanes, in marriage. The sister of Taphanes bore him a son named Genabath, whom Taphanes brought up in the royal palace. There, 
Genabath lived with Pharaoh's own children. A very close friend of Pharaoh. Now, while he was in Egypt, Hadad learned that David had died. So Hadad said to Pharaoh, let me go that I may return to my own country. So when David dies, of course, Solomon becomes king. And now Hadad wants to return to his own country. Pharaoh asked, well, what have you lacked here that you want to go back to your country? Nothing, Hadad replied, but please let me go. That's my home. And God raised up against Solomon early on. Another adversary, Reason, son of Elidah, who had fled from his master. Hadadezer, king of Zobah, was his master, and he gathered men around him and became the leader of a band of rebels. When David destroyed the forces of Zobah, the rebels went to Damascus, where they settled and took control. So we have enemies in the south, Edom, the southeast, and enemies in the north, in Damascus. Reason was Israel's adversary as long as Solomon lived, adding to the trouble caused by Hadad. So Rezon ruled in Aram, Syria of today, and was hostile toward Israel. So as everything seemed to be going great for Solomon, behind the scenes, the political machinations, the Machiavellian deals were being made. Also, in 1 Kings 11, verse 26, Jeroboam, son of Nabat, rebelled against the king. He was one of Solomon's officials, an Ephraimite from Zeradah, and his mother was a widow named Zeruah. Now here's the account, and this will be really important. Here's the account of how he rebelled against the king. Solomon had built the supporting terraces and had filled in the gap in the wall of the city of David, his father. Now Jeroboam was a man of standing, and when Solomon saw how well the young man did his work, he put him in charge of the whole forced labor group, the whole labor force of the house of Joseph. About that time, Jeroboam was going out of Jerusalem and Ahiah, the prophet of Shiloh, met him on the way wearing a new cloak. The two of them were alone out in the country and Ahijah took hold of the new cloak he was wearing and tore it into 12 parts. He said to Jeroboam, take 10 pieces for yourself for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I am going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hands and give you ten tribes. But for the sake of my servant David and the city of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, he will have one tribe, the tribe of Judah. I will do this because they have forsaken me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Molech, the god of the Ammonites. And Solomon has not walked in my ways, nor done what is right in my eyes, nor kept my statutes and laws as David, Solomon's father, had done. But I will not take the whole kingdom out of Solomon's hands. I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of David, my servant, whom I chose and who observed my commands and statutes. I will take the kingdom from his son's hands and give you ten tribes. I will give one tribe to his son so that David, my servant, may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I chose to put my name. However, 
As for you, I will take you and you will rule over all that your heart desires. You will be king over Israel. If you do whatever I command you and walk in my ways and do what is right in my eyes by keeping my statutes and commands as David, my servant did. And I will be with you. I will build you a dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David and will give Israel to you. I will humble David's descendants because of this, but not forever. Well, Solomon tried to kill Jeroboam Jeroboam worked for him as a manager of forced labor. But Jeroboam fled to Egypt, to Chishak the king, and stayed there until Solomon's death. So Jeroboam takes political asylum in Egypt, under Pharaoh, king of Egypt, Solomon's father-in-law. So Pharaoh is playing both sides here. As for the other events of Solomon's reign, all he did, the wisdom he displayed, are they not written in the book of the Annals of Solomon? Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel for 40 years. Then he rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, succeeded him as king. We bury Solomon. And now... His knuckle-headed son, Rehoboam, becomes king. Get this, 1 Kings chapter 12. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all the Israelites had gone there to make him king. He travels north from Jerusalem into the central mountain range, neutral territory among the 12 tribes, to be made king by unanimous decision of all the tribes. And when Jeroboam, son of Nabat, heard this, he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. So they, the northern tribes, sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam, and they said to him, Rehoboam, your father put a heavy yoke on us. Now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Your father put a heavy yoke on us and harsh labor. The heavy yoke was taxation. How did Solomon pay for all these building projects? How did all this wealth come to him? He taxed his people beyond bear. In addition to the revenues from the trade routes, he taxed his own people beyond bear. And he conscripted Israelites for labor. Unpaid labor. No one likes that. It's called corvée, C-O-R-V-E-E, -E, corvée, conscripted labor. The conditions for Rehoboam to become king after his father Solomon were lower the taxes and end the draft. <laughs> Some things never change, do they? Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and come back to me. Let me, let me think it over. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father, who had served Solomon during his lifetime. He asked them, how would you advise me to answer these people? They replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, 
lower the taxes and the draft, they will always be your servants. Hmm. But Jeroboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him, the young Turks. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us, lower the taxes and end the draft? Well, the young men who had grown up with Rehoboam replied, you tell these people who have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, make our yoke lighter. You tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. That's biblical euphemism for my penis is thicker than my father's waist. I got a bigger one than anybody around. You think my father was cool? 700 wives, 300 concubines? Take a look at me, dude. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I'll make it heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I'll scourge you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam as the king had said, come back to me in three days. And the king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men. And he said, my little thing is thicker than my father's waist. My father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. The king did not listen to the people. For this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nabat, through Ahijah the Shilonite. Well, when all the Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king. What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, O Israel. Look after your own house, O David. So the Israelites went home. The northern tribes went back home. As for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. One of ten tribes. King Rehoboam sent out Adoniram who was in charge of forced labor, who was in charge of corvée, of conscripting Solomon's own people, of Solomon conscripting his own people for forced labor. Rehoboam sent out Adoniram, who was clearly a tough guy in charge of the forced labor, but all Israel stoned him to death. King Rehoboam, however, managed to get into his chariot and escape to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this very day, the day of the writing of 1 Kings. But when all the Israelites heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel, the ten tribes. Only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the house of David. And when Rehoboam arrived in Jerusalem, he mustered the whole house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 fighting men, to make war against the house of Israel and to regain the kingdom for Rehoboam, son of Solomon. But this word of God came to Shimei, the man of God. Say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, to the whole house of Judah and Benjamin and the rest of the people. This is what the Lord says. Do not go up to fight against your brothers, the Israelites. Go home, every one of you. This is my doing, said God. So they obeyed the word of the Lord. 
and went home again as the Lord had ordered. Solomon reigns from 970 to 930. Solomon began building the temple in Jerusalem in the fourth year of his reign, 966. He completed it and dedicated it in seven years, 959. 959 to 930, 29 years. The Israelites were told by God three times a year, you go to Jerusalem for Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Passover remembers the exodus from Egypt. Pentecost remembers the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. And Tabernacles remembers the 40 years in the wilderness. Once the temple is built, go to the temple for three pilgrimage festivals each year. Well, if the 10 northern tribes break off and form their own nation, the nation of Israel with the capital at Samaria, are the people from those 10 tribes going to go to Jerusalem every year? Not if Jeroboam can help it. Because if they go to Jerusalem every year, pretty soon their loyalties will revert back to the house of David and Jeroboam will be killed. And that's exactly what Jeroboam thought. 1 Kings 12, verse 26, Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They'll kill me and return to Rehoboam. So after seeking advice, the king made, oh my, two golden calves. Remember the golden calf? When, they, when Moses came down off Mount Sinai with the tablets of the Ten Commandments, the people down below, Moses had been gone for weeks. They didn't know what happened to him. He disappeared up that mountain into smoke and fire, and they never heard a word from him again. What are we going to do? We're out here in the middle of nowhere, out here in the, in the Sinai. I've been to the Sinai many a time. We have climbed Mount Sinai, stood at the top of Mount Sinai, and watched the sunrise. That's a pretty darn barren place out there. And the people thought, what are we going to do? We, we don't know what happened to this, this God that Moses knew. We, we haven't heard a word out of him. So they made a golden calf. Aaron, Moses' brother, crafted it with a, with a tool. And they worship the golden calf. They're not bowing down to a little golden image. The golden image is an icon of the Egyptian goddess Hathor. Hathor, the great mother goddess of Egypt, the nurturing mother goddess, often portrayed in iconography as a cow with a sun disk between her horns. And we see quite frequently an infant, Ramses II, suckling from her. She's the nurturing mother goddess of Egypt. And her center of worship, guess where it is? In the Sinai. That makes sense. The people at the foot of Mount Sinai need a strong, protective god or goddess to be with them. So they make a golden calf. Well, that resonated. That was way back in 1446 B.C. It's now 
930 BC. What? 600 years later? But everybody knew about the golden calves. So Jeroboam made two golden calves. He said to the people, it's too much for you to go to, too hard to go to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. The first generation knew it. They built a golden calf at Mount Sinai. And one of those golden calves he set up at Bethel, the southern border of the northern kingdom, right up against Judah, and the other in Dan, all the way at the northern border. Today, we can stand in Dan. There is there a replica of the altar of the golden calf. I teach this very story right there in front of it with our folks sitting on the steps of an elevated platform. And if we stood up on that platform and turned around 180 degrees, you could lob a rock into Lebanon. It's right on the northern border. Well, this thing became a sin. The people went even as far as Dan to worship one up there. Golden calves at Dan and Bethel. Oh, it's too hard, too hard to go to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel. Jeroboam built shrines on the high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. You need a priest with a golden calf. A Levite's not going to do it. He instituted a festival on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the festival of Passover held in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. This he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And at Bethel, he also installed priests at the high places that he had made. On the 15th day of the eighth month, the month of his own choosing, he offered sacrifices on the altar he had built at Bethel. And he instituted the festival for the Israelites and went up to the altar to make offerings. Golden calves at Dan and Bethel. When we travel to Israel, we visit up north, we visit Dan, beautiful, beautiful site. It's a national park today in Israel. We hike through gorgeous landscapes into the trees, past babbling brooks. There are three major runoff streams that come from Mount Hermon to form the upper Jordan River. We see those streams passing through Dan. The archeological remains of Dan are really impressive. We examine them closely. And when we get to the place of the altar of the golden calf, when we get there, as I said, we sit on the steps of an elevated platform. I tell this story. And I imagine, and we can hear, we can hear the stream running. We can hear the forest rustling. And I imagine that as we're sitting there, we put ourselves back in time, back to 930 BC, maybe 920 BC. Jeroboam is king. People are now worshiping at the altar of the golden calf. Yet, there's an old Levitical priest who's now forbidden to go to Jerusalem for the festivals. 
And I can imagine him standing off to the side, watching the people make offerings to the golden calf, hearing the stream flow by. And that old priest says, and I'm reading from Psalm 42, what I call the Psalm of the Old Priest of Dan. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night while men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God, to the temple in Jerusalem, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among a festive throng. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan. The three major runoff streams that form the upper Jordan River go right through Dan. From the land of the Jordan to the heights of Hermon, Mount Hermon, which you can see to the northwest, snow-covered most of the year. Listen to, listen to the water, deep calls too deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Psalm 42, a psalm of the old priest of Dan as I like to call it. And one of the great experiences of our teaching tours to Israel is sitting there at the altar of the golden calf, hearing the streams run and reading Psalm 42. Look at what Solomon has wrought. Well, that brings us to the end of our time together today, our Friday. I'll be back with you Monday, and we'll push on and see where we go from here. Keep me in your prayers if you would. I'll keep you in mine, as I always do, and look forward to seeing you again on Monday. Bye-bye now.